Section 33 of 93 by Victor Hugo. Translated by Aline Delano. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 3. Book 1. Chapter 5. Their Life in Warfare. Many of them had nothing but pikes, but good hunting rifles were plentiful, and no marksmen were more expert than the poachers of the Bocage and the smugglers of La Rue. They were eccentric, terrible, and intrepid fighters. The proclamation of a decree to levy three hundred thousand men was the signal for ringing the tocsin in six hundred villages. The flames burst forth in all directions at once. Poitou and the Anjou revolted on the same day. Let us remark that the first rumbling was heard on the 8th of July, 1792, a month previous to the 10th of August, on the moor of Kerbader. Alain Redelaire, whose name is now forgotten, was the forerunner of La Roche-Jacques-Alain and Jean Chouan. The royalists forced all able-bodied men to march under penalty of death. They confiscated harnesses, wagons, and provisions. Sapinode at once assembled 3,000 soldiers, Cartelineau 10,000, Stoufflet 20,000, and Charette took possession of Noirmoutier. The Vicomte d'Escapot roused the Haute-Anjou, the Chevalier de Dieuzy the Antevillain et Loire, Tristan Lermite the Bas-Maine, the Barber Gaston the city of Guémenet, and Abbé Bernier all the others. It required but little to excite the masses. A great black cat was placed in the tabernacle of a priest who had taken the civil oath, a priest-juror, as he was called, whence it suddenly leaped forth in the middle of the mass. "'It's the devil!' cried the peasants, and a whole district rose in revolt. Sometimes flames would be seen issuing from the confessionals. For assailing the blues and crossing the ravines, they had sticks fifteen feet long called the fert, a weapon of defense which was likewise available for flight. In the very heat of the conflict, when the peasants were attacking the Republican squares, if they chanced to see on the battlefield a cross or a chapel, all fell on their knees and said their prayers under the fire of the enemy. And after finishing the rosary, those who had not been killed rushed upon the enemy. Alas, what giants were these? They loaded their muskets on the run. That was their special talent. They could be made to believe anything. Their priests showed them other priests whose necks had been reddened by a tightly drawn cord, saying to them, these are the guillotined come to life again. They had their fits of chivalrous emotion. They paid military honors to Fesque, a Republican standard-bearer, who had allowed himself to be sabred without once losing hold of his banner. These peasants were at times derisive. They called the married Republican priests, sans calottes devenus sans culottes. Translator's note, the uncapped become unbreached. And translator's note. At first they stood in awe of the cannon, but after a while they dashed upon them with no other weapons than their sticks, and captured several. The first one they took was a fine bronze cannon, which they baptized the Missionnaire. Another gun, dating from the times of the Catholic Wars, and which had Richelieu's arms and an image of the Virgin engraved upon it, they named Marie-Jean. When they lost Fontenay, they lost Marie-Jean, around which six hundred peasants fell fighting with unflinching courage. Later they recaptured Fontenay in order to recover Marie-Jean, which they brought back under the fleur-de-lis flag, covering it with flowers, and making the women who passed by kiss it. But two cannon were insufficient. It was Stoufflet who had captured Marie-Jean. Catelineau, envying him, left Pont-en-Mange, attacked Jalais, and took possession of a third one. Forrest fell on Saint-Florent and captured a fourth. Two other commanders, Choup and Saint-Paul, were still more successful, they manufactured imitation cannon from the trunks of trees, using mannequins for gunners, and with this artillery, over which they made merry, they forced the blues to retreat to Maroy. At that time they were in the height of their glory. 
Later, when Chalbeau defeated La Marsonniere, the peasants left behind them on the dishonored battlefield two cannon bearing the arms of England. At that time the French princes were paid by England, who, as Nantiat writes on the 10th of May, 1794, are remitted funds to Monseigneur because Mr. Pitt was told that it was the proper thing to do. Melinet, in a report of the 31st of March, says, The cry of the rebels is, Long live the English! The peasants tarried for purposes of pillage, for those devotees were thieves. Savages have their vices, and it is to these that civilization appeals. Puisaille says, Several times I have saved the town of Plélan from pillage. And again he says that he refrained from entering Montfort. I made a circuit in order to avoid the sacking of the houses of the Jacobins. They pillaged Cholet. They sacked Chalon. Passing by Granville, they robbed Villedieu. They called the country people who joined the Blues the Jacobin herd, and exterminated them more fiercely than they did their other foes. They enjoyed carnage like soldiers, and reveled in massacre like brigands. To shoot the patouts was their delight. They called it breaking their fast. At Fontenay, one of their priests, named Barboton, killed an old man with a blow from his saber. At Saint-Germain-sur-Ile, one of their captains, a nobleman, shot the solicitor of the commune and took his watch. At Machicoul, for the space of five weeks, they made a practice of slaughtering the republicans at the rate of thirty a day. Each string of thirty they called a rosary. Behind this row of men there was a trench prepared, into which the men fell back as they were shot. And when, as sometimes happened, a man was still alive, he was buried as if he were dead. Such acts have been witnessed in our own times. Joubert, president of the district, had his wrists sawed off. They had handcuffs for the blues made expressly to cut the flesh. They slaughtered them in the public squares, sounding the halloo. Charette, who signed himself, Fraternity Chevalier Charette, and who, like Marat, wore a handkerchief knotted around his brows, burned the city of Pornic with the inhabitants in their dwellings. Meanwhile, Carrier was frightful. Terror answered unto terror. The Breton rebel looked very much like the Greek insurgent, clad as he was in a short jacket, with a gun slung across his shoulders, leggings, wide trousers of a material not unlike fustian. The lads resembled a Greek cleft. Henri de la Roche-Jacquelon went into this war at the age of twenty-one, armed with a pair of pistols and a stick. There were one hundred and fifty-four divisions in the Vendean army. They laid regular sieges. The city of Bressuire was invested by them for three days. On a good Friday, ten thousand peasants bombarded the city of Des Sables with red-hot cannonballs. They succeeded in destroying in one day the fourteen Republican cantonments from Montigny to Courbevet. On the high wall at Thouars, the following astonishing dialogue was heard between La Roche-Jacquelon and a lad. Fellow! Here I am. Lend me your shoulders to climb upon. Take them. Give me your gun. Here it is and La Roche-Jacquelon leaped into the city. And thus, without the aid of scaling ladders, they captured the very towers once besieged by de Guesclin. They rallied a cartridge far beyond a gold louis. They burst into tears whenever they lost sight of their village belfry. To run away seemed to them the simplest affair in the world. At such times their leaders would exclaim, Throw away your sabots, but keep your guns! When munitions failed, they said their beads, and proceeded to take the powder from the caissons of the Republican artillery and afterwards Dolbey demanded powder from the English. On the approach of the enemy they concealed their wounded in the tall grain, or among the brakes, and came back for them after the engagement was over. They wore no uniform, and their clothing was falling to pieces. Noblemen as well as peasants wore any rags that came to hand. Roger Moulinier was arrayed in a turban and dolman taken from the wardrobe of the Théâtre de la Fleche. The Chevalier de Beauvilliers had a barrister's gown and a lady's bonnet over a woolen cap. All wore the white belt and scarf. 
The different grades were indicated by a knot. Stoufflet wore a red knot, La Roche Jacqueline a black one. Wimpfen, a semi-Girondist, and who moreover had never been out of Normandy, wore the armlets of the Carabeau of Cayenne. They had women in their ranks, Madame de Lescure, who afterwards became Madame de la Roche Jacqueline, Thérèse de Molienne, mistress of La Rouarie, she who burned the list of parishes, Madame de la Rochefoucauld, young and beautiful, whose sabre in hand rallied the peasants at the foot of the tower of the Chateau Puy-Rousseau, and Antoinette Adams, styled the Chevalier Adams, so brave that when captured she was shot standing out of respect for her courage. This epic period was a cruel one. Men behaved like maniacs. Madame de Lescure deliberately walked her horse over the Republicans who lay disabled on the battleground. She said they were dead, but very possibly they may have been only wounded. There was occasionally a traitor among the men, but never among the women. It is true Mademoiselle Fleury of the French theatre forsook La Rouerie for Marat, but that was for love's sake. The commanders were often as ignorant as the soldiers. Monsieur de Sapinot could not spell correctly. He wrote, Nous aurions de notre côté. The leaders hated one another. The captains of the Marais cried, Down with the mountaineers! Their cavalry was few in numbers and difficult to form. Poussaille wrote, A man who would cheerfully give me his two sons grows cool when I ask for one of his horses. Poles, pitchforks, scythes, muskets old and new, poacher's knives, spits, iron-pointed cudgels studded with nails, such were their weapons. Some carried a cross made of two human bones. They rushed to the attack with shouts, springing up at once from all quarters, from woods, hills, underbrush, and hollow roads, ranging themselves in a circle, killing, exterminating, striking terror, and then disappearing. Whenever they passed a Republican town, they cut down the Liberty Pole, set it on fire, and, forming in a circle, danced around it. All their activity was displayed by night. The rule of the Vendean is to be always unexpected. They would march fifteen leagues in utter silence, without so much as stirring a blade of grass. At night, their chiefs having determined in a council of war at what point the Republican posts were to be surprised the next day, they loaded their muskets, mumbled their prayers, and, taking off their sabots, filed through the woods in long columns, barefoot across the heather and moss, noiseless, without uttering a sound or drawing a breath, like a procession of cats in the darkness. End of section 33